You're listening to the Movie Crew Podcast. And tonight, we're going to reveal our list of our top eight 80 slasher films. You no trouble. Me, fifth element. Supreme being. You will be a weapon. You will be a minister of death praying for war. But until that day, you are cute. Sound off like you got a pair. Podcast. I'm Brian. With me tonight, Mr. Paul Williams. How's it going, everybody? What's up, Brian? What's going on, man? Are you ready to talk slasher films tonight? Dude, I'm always ready to talk slasher films. Slasher films are, are some of the some of the horror genre films that really got me into the horror genre. Tonight, we are going to be uh, we're, we're going to be talking about slasher movies, but we are going to give. Our list of our top five, or not our top five, our top eight of our 80s slasher movies. Now, we're going to be talking about slashers from 1980 to 1989. Nothing else. So no Halloweens. Yes. So everyone's like, why isn't Halloween on the list? Halloween came out in 1978, so it doesn't count. The, the slasher genre itself, it, it was a big genre that kind of came, it became very prevalent and and everything in the eighties. Um, it was really, really started off with, with Halloween. And if you want to go back even further than that, uh, in my opinion, I, I think psycho man would be the first real slasher film that we ever really saw. Yeah. Uh, psycho psycho peeping Tom. Um, those, those are the yep. first they're not considered. I wouldn't really consider them slasher movies, but they're like the, the granddaddy of the slasher film. You can see it start to form in those films. And then, of course, in the 70s, the, the Italians took it and they, you know, the Italian giallos um, with Bava and Argento and all those guys, mm. <laughs> man, uh, they made some great stuff. Um, Argento even, they, you know, they, they made stuff um, in the 80s as well. We're probably, I'm, mo- I stayed mostly away from that on my list. I don't know if you did, but I, I kind of oh, no, stayed no, away no, from no, the Italian. Italian Jalo. I, I kind of consider that its own separate genre or its own separate subgenre. Yeah, yeah. Mine was mine was pretty much all uh, American-made slashers. Wait, what? All American-made? 
Dude, come on. Half the, half the slasher films were made in Canada. Well, you know what I mean, man. You know. <laughs> Paul's like English speaking, you know, Canadian American. Well, yeah, that's know. the same thing. Uh, no, no offense to our Canadian brothers and sisters. There's, there's like really no Canadians or at least Canadian speaking people in uh, the burning. I tell you yeah. what, there are in my bloody Valentine, dude. I was watching that um, the other day. Ah, yes, true. <laughs> you say very much so. Yes, and they there was a couple of times where some of the actors were like, "Hey, how how about it?" I was like, "What? Mm-hmm. Where? You guys are not hiding that location at all, there? No, none. You know, all these movies they follow pretty much the same formula." There, there's an authority figure that's either completely oblivious. Oh yeah, it's usually to what's going on. Yeah, usually adults are completely absent. It's just teenagers. Yeah, the the, the we we've talked about this on on other podcasts that you know some certain movies have used elements where it's like they completely negate any adult supervision or anything of that nature. Well, and it's it, just like it gets rid of the mommy, daddy help, you know, helpline. You know, it's just like the yeah. cops. Like, there's that illusion of safety there. You know, yeah, like, that's oh, right. I can go to, the, I can go run to the guy with a gun. I would say that there's a reason that <laughs> these movies got big in in the '80s. You know. Oh yeah, they 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 definitely had their own little their own little spot in cinema history. Well, you know, a lot of them still do. Yeah, cinema got very violent in the '80s. Like uh, the action movies got. Um, Pretty pretty gory, you know. You, you know, and there's one thing that even if you watch kinda, Die Hard, there's one thing that's always kind of bothered me a little bit. Though. This really got formulated when when MPA was created and everything else. It's like they have no problem showing all the female breasts they want to show, all the female behind they want to show. But God forbid you somebody you see somebody get disemboweled. I don't know. I, f- like, I feel like we're pretty tough on nudity here in the United States as well. I mean, I, I don't. Know, I don't man. think it's exclusively violence. Um, I don't. It's it's weird. It's weird what we accept as like okay violence. Like you watch action movies and hundreds of people can die and thousands of people can die in a frame, and we're just like, eh, it's PG thirteen. Fuck it, whatever. It's a natural disaster. Yeah. You know, we can have a a movie about a killer that kills maybe six people in really horrific fashion, and you know, then it's disgusting and off-putting because we're putting that one person in pain, and we can identify with that. How do you how do you identify with like billions of people dying at one time? Like, I can't comprehend that. A lot of those eighty slasher films like are known for. Their nude scenes, as they are for some of their death scenes. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, but I thought the MPAA was. I don't think that they. What I'm saying is, I don't think they discriminate nudity versus violence in a slasher movie. It's just all bad. Cut it all out. Is how I think they approach to it. I don't think they look at one as, oh, this is terrible. Oh, this is not. You know what I mean? Because they cut they cut those sex scenes out of those Friday the Thirteenth movies too. They cut those down. It's not like they only cut out the violence. And in some of those Friday films, there's no nudity in them. Friday Five is not one of my favorite Fridays, which I know you'll agree with. Yeah, that's 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 kind of toward the end of. (laughs) 
that movie, dude, like, even if you watch the direct, even if you listen to the director's commentary and there's an interview um, with the director on the Blu-ray, and he even specifically says that the MPAA, they, they went back multiple times to the MPAA to try to get them, you know, toned down this movie. And that movie, dude, like, it straight shows that, that the one chick and the dude in the woods, and then the other chick... She just like goes up to the mirror and starts getting her makeup on and stuff, and then just like pulls her boobs out. That wasn't a big issue, but somebody a piece of prosthetics getting, you know. Okay, uh, okay, Paul, hold up, hold up. What you're saying is, is that they should have a problem with one titty shot in a film versus all the amount of gore that's in the movie. Of course, the gore is going to get cut. Like twenty people die in Friday Thirteenth Part Five. There's like two tit shots. I guess I guess my issue with the MPAA is is like I feel like sometimes they're a little too harsh on certain areas of movies than they are on others. Let let's stop this here. Uh, I will just say like the MPAA and everything they did to these films and s- some of the cuts that were made. I know we've talked about this before in the in the podcast, but I think most of that was brought upon by Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert. And a lot of people got really mad at these movies, and particularly Gene Siskel. Some of the things that he wrote, like, you know, like Friday the 13th, like, I think he published, like, in his review, like, he not only did he give away the ending of Friday the 13th, but then on top of that, he's like, well, here's your letters where you can criticize, and make sure you criticize Betsy Palmer, because she's an actress and she needs to work. Like, who are you to sit on, get on your high horse and say that she should be sent disparaging, crappy fucking mail because they don't like the movie? Like, who cares? Like, I don't... Gene Siskel, I always... I just thought he was above that. And that, that always made me mad that he he treated this subgenre that way. Well, it almost makes me feel like Gene Siskel was a little bit of a poppin' dick. But you're right. I mean, the MPAA did cut a lot of these films. I mean, that's that's for sure. No, when these films first started off, we were talking about like Halloween. Um, I feel like we got to mention Black Christmas as well. This is why we all look at Halloween and we're like, that's the film that kind of created the the slasher genre because that's the one that set the formula in place. Final Girl, yeah. uh, you know, Unstoppable Killer with a mask. The entire premise of a of a slasher film. But you got for the listeners that might actually not know what the whole premise of a slasher is it's to put someone that is a teenager or coming of age into a situation where they have no adult help and some ungodly unnatural entity or revenge killer is after them yeah i usually i I usually prefer it when it's 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 a person When, when you start getting into supernatural things i at that point, like, ah, uh, come on now! I know you can't go that route on me now. I, I think at that point, I think we're starting to get out of slasher territory just a little bit. But well, you know that that's going to make for a very good conversation down the I, road. This well, I I also bid my own rules, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, then there you have it. I'm not saying they have to make sense to anybody but myself. Okay. In addition, not only are, are people getting killed, but usually they're getting stalked 
And that's a majority of what the yep. slasher film is. You usually get the POV of the victim. You know, you hear the whatever your music of your franchise that you're watching. Then you get the kill. It's usually sudden. It's quick. You get your gore and you're out. At least for American made or American distributed slasher films. Okay, there's always the the one couple who ends up having sex and dying. <laughs> well, uh, oh, wait. I mean, come is, on. Is that is that like in every slasher? Is there always a couple there? Yes. <laughs> I feel like yes. you're right, but I'm I, I kind of want to be like, well, no, wait. There's that one movie. Name I one. I, I can't think of one off the top of my head. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah, usually I can't a, either. Uh, usually there's always someone. I was gonna say my bloody Valentine didn't feel like, but that movie starts off that way. I mean, I mean that's that's. I mean that's why that's why usually you get into these as a teenager. I mean, your parents don't want you watch them because it's just killing and it it is a bunch of topless women running around. Pretty much, yeah. So they're appealing to teenagers. I mean, even going back to Halloween, you have the one the one couple, the the blonde girl and the dude who end up having sex, and after they have sex, they die. You're in a situation where the parents or the or the authority figures do not believe a damn thing that any of these these kids or teenagers are even trying to tell them. And then you have one killer who kills pretty much everybody except for one one female at the end of this film or one male. Nah, man. You know, they, it's, they, it's, they, no, man. No, no, hold on. No, it's got to no you look. You can have a male tag along but there's got the, the ah, fi- it's got to be a final a good one. That's yeah, a good one. like you know in Friday Thirteenth Part I'm Two, gonna... you can have like the Paul character. You know, you can you can have you can have Jenny. Yeah. Jenny, look, Amy Steele needed a little bit of romance in her life. Her her guy can come and show up. Although that one's kind of weird because you ever watch Friday Thirteenth Part Two and it's like, hey, what happened to Paul at the end? Yeah, what really did happen? They never really actually. I don't know. Isn't that bizarre? It's that's one of those things you watch the movie and you're just like, hmm. Mm-hmm. Because if you watch the end of the film, it's like it sets up like it's a dream sequence, but her and Paul are both there and they're it survived. And it's like, well, was that whole thing a dream sequence? Did Paul really die in the shack at the end? I don't know. I mean, did they? Did they? Yeah. Did, did him and him and Amy Stokes' character kind of like go off and live happily ever after? I mean, I don't know, but who knows? We we may get to that. But yeah, I mean, like overall, the slasher genre. It, it, it kind of brought a different element into the horror. That that's one of the reasons why I personally enjoy the slasher genre. Well, we can't we hold up. We can't forget about probably the most important aspect of what, that. Not every slasher follows, but a, a majority of them do. I would say the non-franchise entries follow quite a bit. The who done it mystery. Who's the killer? We'll wait to the end of the movie to reveal yeah. in some crazy quick 10-minute f- flashback at the end. Or 10-minute, uh, more like 10 seconds. Here's four shots. That's why I did it. Bye. Or it's like you almost get the answer before you're asked the question. Uh, yeah, there are, there are a lot of these like 80s slasher movies where it's literally just people getting murdered. And you're like, I mean, I have no idea why anybody's even dying. Yeah. And then you'll get like you'll get something at the end, and it's like, oh, that, that wraps it all up. See, this guy killed this dude, and he wants revenge, so he killed all you kids. But at the end of the day, you know, the slasher films they do hold their own little special place in the horror genre. 
Yeah, I mean, I they, think they, they, they kind of do, but they, they've kind of fallen away a little bit here lately. They're not. Yes, they have. You know, they, they were real. I mean, this is something, man, they got really big in the early 80s. They were huge. Nightmare on Elm Street kind of revived it for a little bit. And it, it lived on. That was in 84. It lived on for a little bit, but by the time 89 or 88 even, maybe even 87, it was, it was around Friday 13th Part 7 came out. And the genre was just, it was just out of gas. And um, yeah. yeah, that's when box office returns started started to decline and people stopped making them. And it wasn't until Scream came out again until 96 that it, you know, it got, got back where it needed to be. And then that led it back into, you know, Saul and Hostile and all that. It led into torture porn again. So it it is kind of this yeah, weird it, cycle it, you see in horror movies. You know, you are right on that. It kind of ended up turning into freaking torture porn. They 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 made a separate name so you don't can confuse it on the on the shelf. Man, that is one thing, dude, I really liked, you know, you're talking about the special place for the slasher. It's dude, I just remember all the amazing VHS artwork in the horror section. Oh Man, my god. Yeah, dude, you go to Best yeah. Buy or Best Buy. You go to Blockbuster or or your local mom and pop video store and you just Go to the horror section. Man, they would have the best box covers over anything else in the entire store. We used to have this uh, video rental place called Happy Times. They had all the different covers, you know, all the all the all those slasher films. Most of them were pretty terrible. <laughs> but, like, I remember no, the I cover remember for, seeing... like, graduation day and being like, oh, man, dude, that looks amazing. And then reading yeah. it and you're like, oh, it's not so hot. I mean, you know, uh, well, another, what was it, New Year? it was like New Year's Eve. New Year's Evil. New Year's Evil. Yeah, yeah New Year's Evil. New Year's Evil. Uh, you know, I, I didn't like that and, one I mean, as much. It, it was, that poster was okay. That's, that was, but there was just like a ton of them. Like, you had uh, obscured weird ones and stuff like that, man. And, I love the VHS box for uh, April Fool's Day. Oh, dude. Oh, it does look awesome. Yeah, with the girl. She's like, got the knife holding behind her hair. Really and awesome. She's got the noose, uh, like the little noose from her hair. Oh, man, it's it's cool, dude. I, if we're just talking briefly on just like 80s box covers, dude, I, I know House isn't a slasher. That was another one. And Fright Night, man, Fright Night had an amazing cover, too. I never cared much for, uh, I know, Fright Night was great. Yeah, no, no doubt. But House was just the hand bringing the doorbell. I don't know, man. I always loved the way the house was was designed, though. I always thought it looked really cool. Uh, you know, the old Victorian style home. I think it kind of looked a little dilapidated. I think you're thinking of a different cover, man. The cover for house is literally it's just it's black and it's like a a mummified hand hand with the key. No, it's reaching out to press the doorbell, and the tagline is uh, "Ding dong, you're dead," right? Well, dude, no, the one I the one I remember seeing was like a hand with a skeleton key. Maybe it, maybe it was House Two or something, man. But it was one. Yeah, of the House House, house Two is with a skeleton key, man. Yeah, that's what okay. you're thinking of. Yeah. That's what it is. It's House Two. It's not. It's not the first. It's still made in the eighties, dude, and it still had that freaking artwork. It was like what Home Sweet Home was another one. That was another one of those like horrible low budget B. Oh, that was you know, um, that was the Thanksgiving one, right? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what yeah, I was yeah. Thinking. That was the one with the dude, and he was like running around the whole time, and he had the fucking guitar. 
he dressed up as a mime and shit. Like that was that was another one. That was that was a prime example of an of an eighties slasher movie. All right, guys. So we're gonna take a break. Uh, we're gonna play a quick trailer from one of our top eight slasher films from the eighties, and we'll be right back. Someone's having a party for the top ten. The senior class snobs. Before they get to celebrate, six of them will die in the most bizarre ways you'll ever see. Virginia, don't go away. Come over here, Virginia. It is up to you to determine whether you wish to subject yourself to fear. Because of the bizarre nature of this birthday party, pray you are not invited. All right, we're back, and we're going to get ready to deliver our top eight 80s slasher films. Uh, again, from 1980 to 1989. Now, we did eight here because we just automatically assumed and figured that we're going to have a Michael Myers, a Jason Voorhees, and a Freddy Krueger in here. So let's just go ahead and make it eight so we can talk about five other slasher films outside of those particular three franchises that those characters belong to. So uh, let, let's let's kick this off. All right, so my number eight, Happy Birthday to Me. Wow, really? Now, uh, this is going to be a, a growing trend in our list here. I'm going to go ahead and, and put this out right now. 1981... This is a year you're going to hear us repeat a lot, at least for me anyway. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> I, you've seen this, I take it, Paul. Yes. Now, this is, a, this is a pretty typical slasher up until – now, spoiler warning for this movie. We're going we're gonna to give, give away the killer because I think you have to – we have to to talk about this movie. But at the halfway yes. point of this film, you find out that the main character is, in fact, the killer. Yeah, they immediately throw out the whodunit aspect of the plot. But then yeah, it's there's got- really no, there's really no, you know, you know, climactic ending or anything like that. You pretty much know about, I'd say, what about half, three quarters of the way through the movie. You do until you get to that crazy ending, <laughs> <laughs> where the movie like leads you to believe for like maybe a couple minutes at the end that she has an evil twin sister. Uh huh. And you're just like, what in the world is going on? And then she rips off a Mission Impossible mask at the end <laughs> to reveal another one of these characters. And it's this, it's a typical revenge, like, oh, you, you did this wrong to me, so I'm gonna kill you and all your friends. In fact, I think it's actually yeah. Billy Loomis's reason. Isn't it, isn't it something like um, that's the reason her dad like left or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah, some bullshit, some bullshit reason. Yeah, because these high society guys didn't like throw them a party or something. I don't know. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, and see, this this doesn't take place in like some normal high school or camp. This is like a private school, right? Uh, or it's a college. That does set that movie apart from other slashers. Yeah, and, well, it, it's got some crazy kills in it. It's uh, it's got a great one sheet with the uh, the guy getting the shish kebab <laughs> stuck in yeah stuck in his throat. Um. Yeah, the kill in the scene though, uh, 
the shish kebab death is as surprisingly it's a little weak man you know it's a it's a great poster shot but when it happens in the movie it's over so quick um not, I mean, not a know, lot for yeah. gore hounds here yeah, on this I, one honestly dude you know no shit i thought this was going to be a little higher on your list so that kind of surprises me a little bit that you picked this movie well, I picked this one uh, as number eight just because the end is so crazy, man. It's just so – it throws you for loops, and you're just scratching your head going, what the hell is going on? How is all this stuff tying together? And it's it's got some really cool moments where she has flashbacks. She keeps yeah. remembering, like, this brain surgery. Uh, I guess it's, like, some kind of brain yeah, surgery because they, she's they having. Yeah, because in some kind of, like – yeah, because cause she when when her and her mother go off the bridge or whatever, doesn't she have like some kind of like special uh, like experimental brain surgery? Yeah, and she keeps getting these flashbacks to it, and the the way the camera swings in and out, and some of the light effects that they do—they're all practical, but they're nicely done. And I will say, this director now. <laughs> you don't see this a lot, but this is a director that this is the guy who did Guns of the Navarone. Right with uh, yeah. Gregory Preck and uh, Cape Fear, this is a this is a guy coming from a a pretty big background, doing some big movies, and he did this little slasher movie. It's got it's got a nice little style to it. Um, it is it is a little slow in the middle though. I will say, uh, you know, it, it doesn't have any more any less problems than any of those offshoot eighties slasher movies. All right, Paul, you're number eight, buddy. Well, my number eight is Blood Rage, which was also known as Slasher. The plot line is there's an old MILF lady. She's got two twin sons, and they, they're at a drive-in, and the twin sons go out, and they find this one couple that are getting it on in the backseat of the car at the drive-in, and the one twin kills the couple and blames it on the other twin, and it it kind of becomes this weird story where, like, the mom actually ends up being the craziest fucking character out of the whole movie and doesn't even do anything. Oh, okay, wait, this is uh, this is the one uh, dude dude gets the axe to the face, right? In the car, in the drive. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, it's been a while yeah. since I have not I had did not rewatch that one for this. For <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen that. I've only seen that maybe once. Well, you're not missing much. That's why. That's why it was number eight on. There are some good scenes in it. You know, it, it does have its own interesting and intricate plot line, you know, where it's kind of like, um, it's almost got this count of Monte Crisco. You know, the good brother actually ends up taking the rap for the messed up crap that the crazy, you know, insane brother does. All right. So that was 1987's Blood Rage. That's your number eight. All right. Okay. Uh, my number seven. <laughs> The burning, you know, this is this was coming off of uh, Friday the Thirteenth again. Kids at a campground, but for my money, of all the Friday the Thirteenth knockoffs, man, this is the one, dude. This is the one. In its own right and own way, I almost prefer some of the camp scenes in this more than Friday the Thirteenth. I prefer the kills in this to most of the Friday the Thirteenth kills. This movie is extremely bloody. I mean, this is a good, if you're in for, you know, you want good gore in your slasher, this is a good one, man. Tom Savini is on full display here, working his magic. That raft scene, 
must be watched to be believed. I mean, oh man, Cropsey's coming out with his garden shears, just stabbing people, and it, it's 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 a good makeup. It's probably the highlight of the film, but it's got a man. It's got a really awesome um, full body burn in it too. We also have uh, Mister Jason Andrews. He shows up, and so does uh, Holly Hunter. Oh, oh yeah, Holly Hunter is in that too. Yes, sir, she is. She's not yes, in too much is. of it, but yeah, you can see you can spot Holly Hunter in there. Man, and it's like everybody, you know, it's like it was, and, and the Weinstein's. This is an actual Weinstein and a Miramax film too, by the way. My favorite thing is is if you go to IMDb and look up Harvey Weinstein. His first writing yeah. credit ever. And this guy has an Oscar. His first writing credit ever, The Burning. Not that I really yeah. like that. You know, I I actually prefer it when I, yeah, I mean, come that on, doesn't Jason happen. Jason Alexander. Yeah, Jason Alexander, man, is in The Burning. He he went on to be George Costanza. I kind of like it when the, the heroes and heroines of these slasher films are people I don't know. Unless, of course... I don't mind getting a returning scream, a scream queen. Like, you know, if Jamie Lee Curtis is going to be in the film. Absolutely. Sign me up. I also have noticed that nobody has mentioned prom night yet. <laughs> oh, and I am not going to mention that. Fuck prom night. That movie fucking sucks. Terror train is so much better. Uh, dude, you know, that's, you know, I almost kind of regret. I, uh, I don't, I don't want to give anything away. Uh, uh, all right, Paul, okay. you're number seven. Uh, I'd have to say, man, my seven would be Prowler, man. It was 1945, the night of the graduation dance. The war overseas had just ended. The terror at home was about to begin. Roy? Come on, kid, don't play hard to get. What about New Year's Eve? Well, that was different. I couldn't help myself. The Prowler. If he wants you, he'll get you. Look at that, man. All right, okay, again, 1981. <laughs> you're, you're seeing a trend here, right? I uh, this was from director uh, Joseph uh, Esito. I I don't know. I guess that's how you pronounce that. Um, now this this guy holds a special place in my heart because this is the director of Invasion USA and Halloween Four, not Halloween Four. I'm sorry, Friday the Thirteenth Four, the final chapter. Uh, two two great uh, horror entries. Uh, Paul, why'd you pick this for your number seven? It's not one of the best slashers. That I've ever seen in my life, but you know, it, it's damn sure up there. It's got an interesting storyline. It's it's good for what it is. Well, Paul, I'm gonna just go. I'm just gonna go ahead and say it because, like, I'm up. I'm my film's coming up next anyway, and my number six is The Prowler. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, dude, I agree with you. I think no, I think this has got some of the best kills. Now that burning raft scene is great, and I don't think there's anything in this movie that tops it. For the just you know, because that that's insane. You know, that's like four or five kids getting murdered by one guy at once. So it that's a crazy scene. But man, the first guy in this movie when he gets, I think it's the first guy. It's at before after the flashback sequence in the beginning. 
he gets a knife in the head and you'll know the part I'm talking about. Cause he opens his eyes oh, yeah. and the eyes go white. I yes. man, that image had terrified the living shit out of me when I saw that as a kid. <laughs> I don't know what it is about those white eyes, but as he's bringing that knife up, his eyes like open and you see, they're just straight white. It is so unnerving. Yeah, I, I can't, I can't, talk any smack on that at all dude because there's one coming up later on that scared the shit out of me as a child yeah the shotgun hit blast at the end is pretty is pretty amazing man the prowler i man i really like this story here with the the war theme and the soldier coming back from i i think in the flashback it's world war ii right yeah it and- is world war ii and that's what sets this whole plot in motion. And, the, you know, the killer's wearing an, an army GI mask and his face is hidden. I like that a lot. I really like the way this film's lit. Like, I love the dark um, night stuff, especially oh. out by the lake. Oh, yeah. The cinematography is, is like, I love what the cinematographer did with, with this film. The film does have some problems with the editing a little bit here and there, where, like, <laughs> characters will come and discover a body. And they'll see it, and then it'll cut, and we'll see like you know some other characters do some stuff, and they'll come back, and that person's yeah. like still looking at the dead body, and it's like you haven't moved yet. I'll, that stuff, yeah. uh, that stuff aside, um, I mean, it, it flows, it flows really well, and it's a it the Who Done It isn't really, I don't think it's really that important to the movie, but no, it's, it's, no, it's not. The tension, I think, still is still is there for this film. Yeah, the right the well the the way the writing build that tension and keep and keep the tension throughout the entire film. You know, I always kind of like that was one of the things about the Prowler that I always liked was the fact that it does kind of take this like uh war veteran kind of aspect to it, you know. I don't know. It's fresh and unique, you know, where it's not like, oh, this person did something bad to my family and I'm going to get revenge. I mean, really, that's kind of what this is. But he's also coming back from war. So it, it does add a nice little layer, a little something extra there into this film. All right. So uh, my number six was The Prowler. So, Paul, what was what's your number six? My number six would be Child's Play. Child's Play from Mr. Yes. Tom Holland. All right. Yes, Child's Play. Child's Play is take- it takes every element of a slasher movie, but then kind of bumps it up a notch. I don't know, man. I don't know. Are you are you cheating on this one, Paul? Because is this is this a slasher movie? I mean, we got supernatural elements. A guy is using voodoo to get into the body of a toy. <laughs> are we really gonna go this route? I'm just saying, dude. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Is this a slasher movie? Can do you consider Child's Play yeah. a slasher? Yes, it's a, it's a. I mean, dude, it has all the elements of a slasher. I mean, you got you got the mom and the kid. At first, the kid thinks and knows that this doll is possessed. That his mother gets him, and his mom works all the time. So that they're 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 completely negates your authority figure. But the mom, the mom is the main focus. I would say, if you're going by that logic, the mom is the final girl. So you, yeah. you you can't have your whole like oh the parents aren't around and she be the final girl at the same time like those two things don't fit together man 
But that's what makes Child's Play unique. Because it took that genre, it took the slasher genre. Ooh, I like what you did there. Direction. Okay, no, no. Yeah. I, no, look, uh, Child's Play is a, is a tremendous film, and it definitely has a lot of the slasher elements, um, you know, the POVs. I I don't know if I would technically classify classify Child's Play as a, as a slasher movie, man. Hey, man. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to disrupt your list or anything, you know. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm just saying, I, I consider Child's Play a slasher. And I, I will have to say, you gotta, you gotta call out Brad Dorif. Um, man, he's been voicing Chucky in every single one of these movies, and does a yep. fantastic job every single time. Amazing job. And Catherine Hicks, that plays the mom. Uh, yep. I, man, I think she's sorely missed throughout the rest of the series. I would have loved to seen her in Child's Play too. It would have been, it would have been nice. It would have definitely been. nice. I, you know what? I mean, I know it's not possible story-wise, but I would have rather have seen Chucky traumatize her than that kid. <laughs> not, not, not that little Andy wasn't, uh, you know, cute and adorable. It's just, eh, you know, I don't know. Of all the films I think we've talked about yes far, uh, this one definitely has the acting and the directing chops. I mean, it's it's thoroughly entertaining. You can put it in today. I think and modern, o- yeah. I think a modern audience would get down with this film. So, uh, what's your next selection, my friend? All right, uh, my number five is My Bloody Valentine. In this town on Valentine's Day, everybody loses their heart. Roses are red, violets are blue. One is dead, and so are you. Valentine Bluffs. It looks like Harry Warden's back in town. It happened once. It happened twice. Cancel the dancer, it'll happen twice. In the town of Valentine Bluffs, there are many ways to die. Valentine. Yeah, uh, you know, Canadian film again, uh, nineteen eighty one. Uh, yes, <laughs> as as all the films so far on my list have been from nineteen eighty one. Um, oh, I guess we didn't mention Child's Play was from uh, eighty eight. Yeah, my bloody Valentine. I think this is uh, something that's really special in the slasher uh, genre uh, or subgenre, I should say. This movie really sells me on the atmosphere, the mine. The minor mask is great. Yeah. The location yeah. is great. The end of this movie, it really sells it. Because it's not just in a camp. It's not just kids in the woods. You know, the first no, part not. of the movie is taking place in this town. You get to really see this small little town. Then you get to see... The small little mine in town. Yep. Yeah. And you get to see these people working in the mines and drinking their beer. And I will say a lot of... Emphasis is actually put on character development in the beginning. They even put a little love triangle in this film. You know, my my bloody Valentine really did kind of take it to another level 
and character development and story that we hadn't really seen a whole whole lot in the slasher genre you know it was almost like most of your movies i mean even like the burning going back to the burning real quick like you get a basic premise of what happened to this character bam it's over with well the rest of the focus is elsewhere I like this one because they build up the the Harry Warden character, almost kind of like he is Michael Myers or or Jason Voorhees, yeah. and he's this big bad, yeah. you know. And you're constantly yeah. scared of him. And then when you get your twist at the end, and you realize it's not Harry Warden, it's one of the uh, guys the girl was dating. And you, I, I, I will say, I I kind of give. Well, you know, there's two guys, man. I, that's the thing. You know, the film kind of makes it <laughs> so it's like it, it's gonna be one of those two guys anyway. It's, yeah. You're either thinking it's Harry Warden or one of them, but I love my bloody Valentine, but I, I will knock maybe that the backstory we get for that character is literally like he gets his mask ripped off. You get the reveal and then you get the reason why he did it in a flashback. And that's done in like four shots. And, and I mean, it's kind of like almost a little bit uh, disheartening, I guess, because the movie has spent so much time with all the character development so far. Yeah, it, it, it does kind of come out of nowhere. And I think that is fine for a slasher film. And I think that is totally acceptable and would not even think about it in most slashers. But because this film is a little bit elevated over the other slashers, it does stand out as like a weak link, you know, because everything else is yeah. so good. Like these set, these mindsets are amazing, man. They are. Oh, they I don't know. Right? I mean, they may have actually shot into mine. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't watch all the behind the scenes and extra features on this one. But I mean, just yeah, it, it looks great. Uh, character development. I think it's it's amazing. That to me, that's that's the thing that kind of sucks me in to that movie and this and this whole like folklore that I I feel is different than other slasher films. It's definitely Canadian. That's what it is. Yep. Hey. 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 We're gonna get some beers. How about it? <laughs> I mean, even the streets look very. It doesn't look American at all. It's uh, no. It doesn't. It doesn't. But you know what? It kind of works for it because it it feels like it's part of America, but like in a in a weird backwatered kind of. You know what I mean? It adds to that like. Hey, it, it could be small extreme, town vibe. It could be extreme northern Michigan. Paul, what's your number five, sir? April Fool's Day. April Fool's Day. Oh, I love it. Amy Steele. Yeah. Oh, I, I knew you'd love it about some Amy Steele. I, I, I may have a slight crush on Amy Steele. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie either. Fucking Friday, too. She was hot. But, dude, April Fool's Day, way hotter. All right. Okay. Again, um, th- th- this is weird. Okay. See, I did not include this on my list just because... And super spoilers, if you don't want to know anything, please, <laughs> by all means, skip ahead maybe a minute or two. This movie is not really a slasher film at all. The whole gist of the movie is that it was all a prank. Yep. It's a big-ass April Fool's joke. And come on, tell me that did not piss you off when you when you first saw this. Oh, it fucking made me mad as shit. Actually, there was a fucking, there was two choices for my, my choice in this. It was either April Fool's Day... Or Slumber Party Massacre. Well, this is way better than <laughs> Slumber Party Massacre. And I chose I chose April Fool's. <laughs> well, I, so, good choice. There you have it. Because <laughs> I'm really glad we don't have to talk about Slumber Party Massacre at all. 
No, I mean this this is a it's a really good film. It's kind of like a a little fun parody and this this came out um a little as the slasher movies were dying out. It was this this was uh, the same year as Aliens. It was 86. I think this movie lives and dies on Amy Steele's performance. She's a very empowered final girl. She always maintains that innocent sweet quality to her. But she does not yeah, take any does. shit, and I, I always loved how like just badass she is. Her character reminds me of someone that has a mullet. Wow, you just sucked all the cool out of Amy Steele. What are you talking about? No, no, about? no, no, no. I'm saying like you know, party in the front, business in the back. That still doesn't sound cool, Paul. I mean, when, where's the? <laughs> please sell me on the cute, cool part anytime. Uh, what's going on? No, man. I mean, are you trying to say that, that you thought as cool as a mullet in the '80s? Do you wait? Come on, Amy Steele did not have a mullet, dude. No, I didn't say she had a mullet. No, she didn't. I actually, I said she was rather attractive. But yeah, but uh, anyway, anyway, getting not- back on what was <laughs> back on the damn thing. Anyway, yes, yes, Amy Steele's character. She was the she was definitely the highlight of the entire movie. And yes, that movie did piss me off a little bit. I, but you I mean, know, it's no goddamn worse than Sleepaway Camp. No, it. it well, that that's. I don't, I don't, I don't get mad though. At the end of Sleepaway Camp, I think that ending does what it's supposed to. I think it is shocking. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't think that that yeah. makes you mad. Like this one is like, oh, it was all a dream. You know, it kind of makes you mad. Like, well, you just told me yeah. the whole story that I just watched. It was pointless, and I don't really care if I want to go back and try to figure out what you were trying to say with it because I'm pissed that. I wasted my time reading a story that was a dream. Yeah. But I think this one works in kind of a very like self-parody scream kind of vibe. It's poking fun of the genre. So it kind of works. And I wanted to throw that one up in there, man, just for that reason. April Fool's Day. That's, that's a solid choice, man. Solid choice. Number four. My number four is going to be Friday the 13th, part two. Part two. Yes, part two, and I'm I'm just gonna go ahead and I'll I'll go ahead and throw out right now. I only have one nightmare, one Halloween, and one Friday the Thirteenth on this list. I restricted it to one, just so we could talk about other movies. I didn't want to just talk about Friday the Thirteenth and Halloween films. But of my, I think of all the Friday the Thirteenth films, I'm pretty sure this is my favorite. I'm not a hundred percent, but I think this is my favorite. Yeah, so we're gonna go back to Miss Amy Steele. Uh, um, you know, hey, look, uh, I will say I got to meet Amy Steele, and she is lovely in person, okay? Um, and you know you know what's going to sound really qu- weird? I don't, man, I do not get starstruck at all. I kind of got starstruck by Amy Steele. Is that, is that weird? Is that weird? I don't know. I felt weird about, about that. I was Come like, on, what man. is going wait, wait, wait. So you're telling me when you met, you met John Carpenter that you didn't feel starstruck? No, no, not like I did for Amy Steele. Like, I, was, I was actually nervous, to talk, and it was because of this film. This one, I have seen, right. I, this is the Friday the 13th. I've seen this one. I know more than any other. I don't know if it's my favorite for sure, but I know I've seen it more than any other. I like the sack head on Jason. The bag head, love it. It's awesome. It's great. Steve Miner is a billion times better director than Sean S. Cunningham. And man, you can see it in the chase scenes in this film. They're way more engaging. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, right? They're just they're stronger chase scenes. And when all the other characters get picked off and it's just Amy Steele and Jason, I love the fact that at the end of the movie, there's Jason's mom's head 
preserved in his little shack, and she puts the sweater on and tries to actually use some psychology against him. It's I know okay, it's, it kind of sounds cheesy, but that it, works. It works well. Not to mention, Definitely it's got works. some of my favorite kills in this uh, the series. I like the man. I I just think it's so iconic. The wheelchair. It's awesome. Guy oh, yeah, going down, going down the stairs, yeah. rolling backwards with the machete sticking out of his head. That is so awesome. I mean, the dude in the wheelchair, and then the dog, man. Like Jason killed the dog. Yeah, that dog was barking a lot, though. But still, and it was the size like, of a cat. I mean, the dogs count when they're the size of a cat. I mean, isn't that yes, just a it's cat? A dog. <laughs> I'm just saying, man. That's a dick move. Please that's don't don't move. send me your emails. I was just kidding about that. That's a dick move. He killed the dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it. it look, it does take a while to get going, but I think of all the Friday Thirteenth. I think the man. This has got my favorite acting in it. Jenny is just so badass. It, I, she's my favorite. Oh, she is. Definitely. She's my favorite heroine or final girl, whatever you want to call her. In any of the series, I think she's smart. I think she's capable. You know, it's really weird, and I hate to say this, but the chick from the first Friday film. There's a girl in the burning that has the exact same haircut. Oh, really? If you watch the burning, uh, she's the one that goes in the woods in the burning to get to get the softball. Okay. Exact same haircut, dude. Uh, I'll go. I'll go back and watch it. All right, fair enough. Yeah, exact. I'm telling you, exact same fucking haircut, man. And look, man, we we definitely have to call out uh, Steve Miner, uh, the director of Friday Thirteenth Part Two. He's the only director that I know of that returned to the franchise. He's all, he also directed Friday the 13th Part 3D as well. 3D, baby. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, dude. It's in a third dimension. A third dimension third of terror. Dimension. But, I mean, this this guy went on to do things in the Halloween franchise. He did H2O. Um, he did Lake Placid. Uh-huh. Um, hey, once again, man. Slasher creates another career. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's done quite a bit. It's just, it's it's a good, fun Friday the 13th film. Paul, what's your number four? My number four would be Nightmare on Elm Street, The Dream Warriors. Nice. Oh, man. Look, I was, I was torn about this one, whether I was going to put this <laughs> best nightmare sequel. <laughs> yeah. it, come on. It's, got, it's the best nightmare sequel. It is. It is. Hands down. I mean, next to Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, of course, after you got Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. Well, this was a huge course correction. We get Nancy uh, back in. Heather Langenkamp. Yes, sir, we do. Uh, is returning to the series. This is the also the the Friday film where they realized they were going to, you know, start borrowing a little bit from uh, Evil Dead and making Freddy a little bit more comedic. What do you mean start borrowing from Evil Dead? Well, Evil Dead, man, with the the horror comedy. Yeah, yeah I, I, I well, hold up. This came out the same year as Evil Dead Two, though, and that's kind of when that started. So I don't, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know about that. Uh, well, Evil Dead Two was still more, way more, way more campy and more comedic. Though. Yeah, and I also think that that's like that's constant slapstick. I will say that the Nightmare in Elm Street series it gets silly sometimes, but. They never really put their uh, their victims in really over the top slap slapstick scenarios, really until you get to four and five, and then then yeah, 
when you start getting into super yeah. Freddy and the Freddy glove coming up on the beach like a shark's fin. Yeah, then we're yeah. into that territory, but yeah, well, well, I mean, this is where that, the comedy you know, did start in the series. You're right about that. And, and I mean, you had Patricia Arquette, who was your main. I guess she was your main heroine, right? Yeah, absolutely. John Saxon comes back as um, Nancy's yeah, dad. Yeah, John Saxon's in there. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, you know, the skeleton scene at the end is great, man. That is uh, that is truly you know, a, a fun thing scene, is, man. It's weird because if you still watch it today, it, yeah, it kind of does a, look a little bad, but yeah, I'll still say, man, it's kind of held up. No, I think it's it's fun. It Look, yeah, it's dated for the time because of the special effects they had. And wow, when did that come out? Yeah. 1987. So, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it's a little dated for 87, but I think it looks it, lo- it looks fine for what it is. And, it, you know, and it's, again, it's a lot of fun for the series. I mean, you know, especially like after how – you know how nightmare ends and it's it's just it's not very satisfying this has a nice satisfying finale yeah like i like yeah. the the last 5 minutes of this movie more than i like the first nightmare and i also do want to note two things my friend number 1 would be that this also has some of the most interesting kills in my opinion out of the entire series not only that but if you're not going to consider Consider Nightmare on Elm Street a horror, and you shouldn't consider Child's Play a slasher either. Uh, yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I struggle, I struggle, seriously struggle with considering Nightmare on Elm Street a slasher film. But it is. Uh, still, it is. Had, but it still is. What did we discuss earlier? It about is the premise. It is of a it, slasher. It is, but at the same time, it's not, and we'll we'll get into that a little bit later. I think. I th- I th- well, let's 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 table this discussion for just because I, <laughs> I think we're gonna I think we're gonna really get into it in just just a little bit. Actually, why don't we take a break here? Um, we'll play a trailer, and when we come back, we're gonna give you our top three favorite slasher films. What's going on out here? Call the police. Tell the sheriff I shot him. Who? Tell him he's still on the loose. Is this some kind of joke? Been trick or treated to death tonight. You don't know what death is. All right, so we're back. Now we're getting ready to go into our top three favorite slashers from the 80s. My number three is Halloween 2. Oh! More of the night he came home. Now, this, you know, this has got to be one of my favorite sequels, man. I mean, I I, I put this in top 20 favorite sequels of all time. I love it so much. It picks up directly after the first movie. And it's got that great Donald Pleasance line where he comes out and he's like, you don't know what death is. It starts off with the John Carpenter score. Well, actually, I think it starts off with Mr. Sandman. Um, Yeah, it does. Laurie Strode getting picked up. Jamie Lee Curtis playing Laurie Strode getting picked up, taken to a hospital. Oh, man, it's slasher greatness. It is. I mean, that probably has to be the best sequel to any horror movie ever, any slasher movie ever. It's, you um, know, it, it's it's probably my favorite of the sequels. Um, but I, I do like Dream Warriors a lot, but I I think this one just edges it out for me just a little bit more. Just it keeps that original feel of the first Halloween, you know? Yeah, because you want to know what happens. 
the reason why you know Halloween 2 is so satisfying and such a great movie is because it gives you all the answers that you, you kind of want yeah they do start building the mythology a little bit um, with the Sam Hain stuff uh, written on the chalkboard this is the film where you find out that Jamie Lee Curtis's Laurie Strode's character is Michael Myers' sister and he's actually just trying to kill off family members and everyone in the first film kind of got in the way I, you know I don't mind that retcon I know some people dislike that I don't know man I think Halloween 2 is a great I feel like the rest of the franchise wouldn't have anywhere to go you know <laughs> if they exactly. didn't make, if they didn't make this film and that and that and that's one another one of the many reasons why this film is so great Donald Pleasant's coming back returning his uh, Sam Loomis or Dr. Loomis role um there's a great full body burn at the end of the movie. Uh, you would think Michael Myers is definitely taken out at the end of this film, but he does come back in Halloween 4 um, because yes. they skip. And, you know, Halloween 3 is the season of the witch, so that's got Stonehenge and warlocks and witches in it. Doesn't really oh, concern. Great shit. Yeah, doesn't really concern Michael Myers. Although I believe they bring him up on like a TV. They bring him up on well, either the television they, in the they, background they, they, or in the radio. Uh, they mention the town. They don't mention the murders at all in the third movie. I don't believe so. As far as I remember, they just mentioned the town. Oh, okay. All right. I knew, I knew they mentioned. They, they something. mentioned Haddonfield. There was some, yeah. I knew there was some kind of like tie-in. But uh, Rick uh, Rosenthal came in to direct from John Carpenter, and I uh, mean, I, I thought he did a, a pretty good job uh, until I saw Halloween Resurrection. Um, <laughs> And uh, you know, hey, uh, no, he did a great yeah. job on on Halloween too. Um, he the same director did come back to the series and direct Halloween Resurrection, which is not nearly as good as this film. If you want to get somebody like started in the slasher genre, I mean, I you gotta show him Halloween, and the next movie you show him after is Halloween show him Halloween too. Resurrection. Just <laughs> don't show him Resurrection. Yeah, don't, show, don't show him that one. There are two movies that have resurrection in the title that you should never watch. Alien Resurrection and Halloween Resurrection. Forget they even exist and just go on with your life. And I, do, I like all the blogs that uh, always always po- point out how vacated and vacant the, the hospital is. It's just completely empty and desolate. There's nobody there but like yeah. four or five doctors and two nurses. No shit, this is like the most underfunded, understaffed hospital in America. But they do, they they bring a lot of awesome things. Like uh, the little girl that comes in with, uh, bit the apple, bobbing for apples, and she bit the razor blade. Yeah, I always do. For some reason, man, I always thought that scene was kind of like a little like, When we were growing up, we were always told not to accept fruit from people. You know, they could put razor blades or something in it, you know, make sure it's wrapped candy. I'm weird about shit like that. When it comes to fucking with people's toes and their teeth, that shit bothers me. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm like that with eyeballs. I I don't want you messing with eyeballs. Don't do that. Because the kid's like, it's got like an apple bleeding like crazy big shiny razor blade. All right, Paul, what's your number three? My number, my number three is The Burning. The Burning from 1981. The Burning. Again. Man, 81 is just all over this list. All right, Paul, why'd you pick this for number three? I just, I really thought The Burning was a good camp movie. 
but it, it the character had this this certain mythology or mythos to it. Good old cropsy. Yeah. And at the same time, it, it was a revenge film too. And I mean it was just like watching it now, I I I almost find I find it to be funny almost to watch it. Like some of the lines, man, and come on, baby, don't you wanna have a little bit of the blaze? Come on. And just like the jokes. The fucking kid Alfred, like everybody fucked with him. I mean, we got Jason Alexander, man, when he was young. Many years before he went bald and become George Costanza on Seinfeld. Yeah, I I, and, I, I mean, do feel like some of the Friday thirteenth movies took a little from this film as well. Yeah, no shit, right? Well, Friday thirteenth part two came out this year and that was, you know, that was the sack Jason. Which was already a stolen yeah. look from, um, what is that movie? Uh, the Town That Dreaded Sundown. Yeah, The Town Dreaded Sundown. Yes, it is. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they already took that from that. Yeah, I don't know. Possibilities. I definitely think that, you know, The Burning played some inspiration into those Friday the 13th sequels, for sure. Especially with and the character's face. Yeah, and that's why I picked it as my number three, man. Even though, you know, you got movies like Halloween the original Friday the 13th that kind of started the slasher genre. I think, and I feel that even in movies like The Burning, and this is why The Burning comes in at number three on this list, that movie influenced movies like Jason Lives, which is one of my favorite Friday the 13th films. Yeah, it's it's de- it definitely plays a, a, it's a huge part in slasher film history for sure. Nobody's going to argue that. I mean, that's... It's definitely a classic, and um, the makeup on the killer, you know, the guy's burned. He get, he gets burned by some kids playing a prank, mm-hmm. you know, like you do. Like, most most slasher films start off with, like, oh, it was just a prank. I don't know what was going on in the 80s yeah, with, with people's fears of pranks going wrong, but it was a problem in the 80s, apparently. It was just out of control. And I, it eventually became a problem in the late 90s, too. What with uh, with pranks going out of control? What what was the eighties slasher that had a prank going out of control? Um, I mean nineties. Sorry. Oh come on, dude. Um, I know what you did last summer. No, that was that's Urban not a that, that's not a prank. That's not a prank. Sure. They they hit a person and then dumped his body into a. No, yeah. that's not. Okay, a prank. what about Urban Legends then? Uh, man, I forget exactly why the killer is killing. I know it's Rebecca Gayhart's the killer, but why is she killing people? And she is in real life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so messed up. Uh, and also true. Um, uh, Google Rebecca Gayhart murders somebody. Um, <laughs> don't, I, I don't even want to go into it. That's, uh, that's researching. Okay. That's researching your own time when Hollywood yes, people. It is. Let's go back to our list. <laughs> All right. Okay. So going back to the list, uh, number two uh, for me off my list is Wes Craven's original Nightmare on Elm Street. Now, I am, you know, we were talking earlier about like, you know, supernatural forces. Is that a slasher? Uh, this is the film that I think it it is on the line of the difference between a, a slasher and just a normal horror film where your supernatural entity is killing somebody. Um, the reason I would say that this is a slasher and not a supernatural horror film 
the way everything is is portrayed. Like you were saying with the parents being gone, not only the parents are not being yeah. gone, but we also have our final girl in Nancy, played by the absolutely wonderful Heather Langenkamp. Um, really love her performance. I know some people have made you know little jabs at it here and there, but man, come on, it works, man, it works. You you can make yeah, fun of some of the lines like "screw your pass." Where's your pass? Screw your pass. Every single one of the films in my top five, I I enjoy them because of of the acting is also good. The script is giving the actors something to do. So you also have some nice style with the acting and the script. And not always, but sometimes these movies can be elevated to kind of a level. And I think that's what A Nightmare on Elm Street is. And Tina's kill on that wall, that is one of the most disturbing kill sequences ever in cinema. And my number two was Nightmare on Elm Street as well. Oh, there you go. And and I remember for like a fucking month, I slept with a flashlight because of that damn scene. Yeah, that scared the shit out of me, man. Like, there was two movies that actually scared the shit out of me as a kid. And one was Nightmare on Elm Street, and two was The Exorcist. They were the only two movies I've ever actually seen that actually scared me. Caused me to lose sleep because they scared the shit out of me. The film does definitely play with those those fantasy elements. It gets under your skin in that nightmarish dream state. And dude, you gotta realize, I saw Nightmare on Elm Street when I was a, a little kid. Oh, how, how young were you? I when probably you saw it? 86, maybe? 87? Oh yeah, see I didn't see this till I was uh I was I was ten. I was nine when I saw it yeah, on television. I mean, I but I was I was ten when I, I rented it from the, the video store and yeah. what I'm saying is man, I was way too damn young to be watching that. <laughs> I tell you know what? This is the this is one of those films. I, I taped this off television. Um they were showing it on like uh, oh, so CBS you got, you or something. Got to see the edited- the edited for TV. Bro. Yeah, yeah, I for the first year. But the terrible thing was there was a ball game on before, and the movie didn't start on time. So the tape cut off like oh, no. right before the last 10 <laughs> minutes of the movie. So right when she's doing all the MacGyver stuff with the, like, the light bulb and everything, like I yeah. remember her sprinkling that uh, – uh, what is it? The gunpowder on the, the light bulb. I remember that image so well because that's the exact moment where the tape stopped. So I never, I never got to see that for like it was like a year, year and a half, maybe maybe two years. And I was finally able to to rent it from the video store and we got home, watched it, and maybe it's because the tape stopped at that the MacGyver moment in the movie where Nancy decides she's going to bring Freddie out of her dream and and get him. I always kind of felt that the end of this film was a little lackluster. That's why it's not my number one. It's just turning your back on your dream and having it disappear as a ghost is not a very satisfying conclusion. And then to go out at the end of the movie and realize that, no, you're still in a dream, that's not very satisfying either. I will say that's the problem with supernatural films versus a a slasher film can just end. You know, like you kill the killer, your end, movie's over, it's satisfying. 
ending supernatural horror is really hard to do it in a satisfying manner. I would say the exorcist is the only example I can think of off the top of my head where it is done perfectly right. Although I like the end of frailty too. Frailty is really good. Okay. Maybe the sixth sense. Okay. So there's more, but not many. (laughs) I'm like, I'm sitting here like I'm trying to make a point that I'm going to talk myself out of while I'm making it. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I, I totally understand your point. Nightmare on Elm Street does hold a very, very special place in my heart as a slasher, and it is. I mean, at the end of the day, it still is a slasher. I mean, the way I see it is, and you know, my kind of my kind of whole outlook is like I've stated in the show earlier. You have a certain formula, and if, if even if you do throw supernatural elements and supernatural characters into it. You still have that formula, and it's still a slasher. I mean, do you do you do you watch Nightmare on Elm Street, and then you're you're done with it, and you're like, yeah, okay, that's that's satisfying. Or do you go straight okay, to popping whole, in the whole... Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three, and you're like, okay, no, that's a satisfying ending. Because that's one yeah, thing that, I would say oh, that Part Three does do way better than one is it ends well. Oh yeah, it has way more of a satisfying ending. Hell yeah, the ending for Part Three is way more satisfying because. With the Nightmare on Elm Street, they they give you this kind of like really weird cryptic ending, where it's like you think everything is okay and then it's not. Which which is I mean, hey, with that being said, it's very it's very common in the in the slasher genre again. Did you just say any? No, the end of a Nightmare on Elm Street is nothing like anything else in the slasher genre at all. No, it's not. But I mean, when it comes to that crypticness of the ending, is still there. The girls out on the boat. The girls out on the boat at the end of Nightmare on. I mean, at the end of Friday the Thirteenth, right? Yeah. And then Jason comes and takes her under the water. What's the difference in that? And at the end of Nightmare on Elm Street, when Nancy gets in the car. Well, the difference is is that in Friday the Thirteenth, the entire movie was reality until the end dream sequence where they're just ripping off Carrie. They're trying to throw you off guard at the end. And Nightmare on Elm Street, it's all about dreams, and you come to find out that they're still trapped in the dream. That I mean, I would say that's <gasps> that's the difference, man. Ah, <laughs> uh, touche on that, touche. I mean, that's like, a little bit more. You know, like like that's a little bit more April spool, April Fool spit in the face. I don't have a problem with Freddy still being alive at the end of the movie. Like, that's totally fine. I mean, a lot of slashers still do that, where they're just like, yeah, the killer's the killer's still alive. You just have to deal with it. Movie's over. Yeah. Everybody died. Killer's still out there. It's the whole, like, I don't know, the whole turning your back on the dream. I don't know, man. I just, I really hate that part of the movie. And the movie is so pitch perfect outside of that moment. I just want to make it known that's the only reason it's not number one. That's that's it, because I think everybody's going to call me crazy here in just a second. My number one slasher film is Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Friday the 13th, part four, the final chapter. That's my number one slasher film, period. Number one slasher. Now, that's also directed by the same guy that directed The Prowler. You know, hey, you know, this one, this is one of the Fridays that actually, you know, outside of Kevin Bacon showing up in the first one, Crispin Glover is in this one. Back to the Future's dad. Yep. George Crispin McFly. Glover. Here he is. And this, the, uh, Corey Feldman also plays in this. And oh, that's true. I forgot about Corey Feldman. The Playing little sister. Tommy Jarvis. 
no, this this is this is a good one. This is one where like Jason, he almost starts getting the the superhuman powers where he's busting through doors. Uh, there's a lot of great kills in this movie. It was also supposed to be the very last Friday the 13th film, too. Hence the title, Final Chapter. I like how they picked that up, though. They were like, hey, you know what we're going to call the next one? A New Beginning. I think this movie epitomizes the the very beginning of the franchise. It's just such a great, great slasher. It has another creepy moment, man, when the dude, I can't remember his name, but when he's getting killed, he's in there screaming out, oh, God, he's killing me, and all this stuff. Like When I saw that for the first time, dude, that, that kind of freaked me the fuck out. Oh, really? I kind of laughed. I always laughed at that. No, that bothered me, man, because it's like the way the dude was like, because I like once again, dude, when You're I saw this, I was, me. I was kind of You're like, killing me. Please stop. You know, and I mean, but no, it wasn't like he was saying it like, like, like bad. He was like telling her like, this motherfucker's killing me while he's killing me. Get the fuck away. I know, but it's like, dude, come on. No, no shit. He's killing you. We can, we see you getting stabbed, dude, yeah, 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 yeah. at the bottom of the stairwell. Yeah. It's it. We could see it. I don't know why, man. I don't know why that kind of like disturbed me a little bit when I was young. Now it doesn't bother me. You know, I do kind of think it's comical now. I always wanted to know what like happens said, the first- to the mom. Where does the mom go in that movie? She just Nobody takes a knows. walk and disappears. Actually, I think there's. Nobody a, knows. I think there's a deleted scene where, uh, if I, I well, yeah, there really is, watch yeah. that, but there. I think there's a deleted scene where she ends up. She she got killed and they cut it out of the movie. But you watch the finished film; she's totally not there. Yeah, but in that deleted scene, they Jason does bring her body back to the house. Okay, is that what it is? Yeah, I I can't I couldn't yeah. remember, but yeah, I knew that there was there was something there. All right, man. So. uh I've been waiting. I've been waiting on this shit. All right, my number one is "Dressed to Kill," nineteen eighty Brian De Palma flick. Wow, Bobby, you won't see me anymore, so I'm gonna have a little session with your machine. Oh, I borrowed your razor, and well, you'll read all about it. Some blonde saw me, but I'll get her. I've already been to the police. But I didn't tell him about Bobby. I wanted to talk to her first. Brian De Palma, the master of the macabre, who shocked audiences everywhere with Sisters, Carrie, Obsession, and The Fury, now invites you to a showing of the latest fashion in murder. <laughs> dressed to Kill. Michael Caine, Angie Dickinson, Nancy Allen. Dressed to Kill. Murder made to order. I absolutely love this movie. This is the best slasher film of the 80s. And before everybody starts screaming at me right now and says, no, this is not a slasher film, I say, no, it is a slasher movie. Yeah, it's, it takes on a little bit of a thriller uh, aspect to the film, but that's just because this movie is modeled after, not so subtly modeled after, uh psycho and it's got a nice little rear window not rear window it's got a nice little uh, vertigo section in the film as well um a nice little homage section where she's uh, angie dickerson's character is running through this museum 
and this guy's following her. Angie Dickerson's character, she's bored. She's a bored housewife. She goes to this therapist, Michael Caine. Michael Caine is pretty much this movie's Norman Bates. He is a cross-dressing psychopath that kills women with straight razors that give him sexual feelings. So it's very much psycho, but man, it is done so well. I love the music in this movie. I love the shots. Brian De Palma really knows how to shoot a film. The split diopter shots, which is where you have... uh, So like on on a lens, there's this little cap thing that you can screw on the end of the lens. It's called a split diopter, and it literally creates a, a line all right, on your glass so you can get your foreground and your background object in focus. Unless, of course, you, you want to get like a, a deep focus and try to keep everything in focus within an actor's range. But a split diopter shot takes something that's really far away and really close up and it keeps everything in per- perfect focus. So you see these really cool collapse shots where an actor's face is in the foreground and somebody is doing something way far in the background and, and grabbing something and, or has a knife. These shots are beautiful, man. It, it, this and Blowout, Brian De Palma excels at this. Just using the camera to tell the story visually. Like, everybody can tell a story, but if you're making a film, you're telling a visual story. Brian yeah. De Palma really understands that, and he makes a visual masterpiece in Dress to Kill. Well, I mean, you know, you had another, you know, other movies from the 80s, like Body Double. It's like, well, I mean, if you're going to consider Dress to Kill a slasher, you know, would Body Double kind of be the same thing? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I guess you could consider Body Double, but I would not put Body Double in the same category. Oh, no, as, no, 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 no. I wouldn't either, but I'm just saying, I'm just, you know, just yeah, bringing it up. Yeah, no, Body cool uh it's got the cool drill on the floor where that guy uh drills that one girl yep. all the way through down yep. the drill spins out on the other side of the floor yeah that's, that, the, that's the thing I, that's the thing i remember most from that movie <laughs> yeah i mean it, it's it's i think that's what everybody remembers most from that because that's like it's such a gruesome horror horrific scene yeah. i mean once again going back to you know dress to kill man i haven't seen dress to kill in a really really long time but I do remember the movie, and I do remember it being a very good movie. And no shit, man, you kind of you really caught me off guard with that one. Like I didn't even. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, look. I mean, I know I'm probably gonna get a lot of crap for it. You know, it's a little snobbish of a choice. I'm a big, huge fan of Brian De Palma. I love him so much. He's one of my favorite directors. Uh, Untouchables is a masterpiece. Sisters yep. is great. Carrie is great. Carlito's Way, Scarface. Yeah. I mean, the guy has done so much amazing stuff. And like you were talking about, Body Double, Obsession. E- everything that he does in the horror genre, I'm a huge, huge fan of. I, some of his other stuff. I, I even like Raising Cain, too, and that's that's not the greatest movie in the world. But it's still, it's still enjoyable. Oh, no. I mean, the love and the art that De Palma puts in his films, I mean, you just can't help but be sucked in by him. I mean... He's such a masterful filmmaker. Yeah, he is, definitely. All right, guys. So that was our top eight 80s slasher films. That concludes our list for tonight. 
guys, uh, thank you for listening to the Movie Crew podcast. If you guys want to get in touch with us, our email address is themoviecrew at gmail.com. That's themoviecrew. Crew is spelled C-R-E-W-E, extra E at the end, at gmail.com. Uh, if you guys could please uh, give us a five-star rating on iTunes and Stitcher, we would certainly appreciate that. It helps people find us. And if you guys want to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, we're at Movie Crew Pod. Paul, where can people follow you, good sir? I am on Twitter at Paul R. Williams, J1. All right, guys. And like always, we like to play a little bit of the soundtrack of the film we're talking about. And since we talked about so many, it was a hard choice. But I think we're going to close tonight's show with The Ballad of Harry Warden from My Bloody Valentine. Enjoy. (laughs) Once upon a time, on a sad valentine, in a place known as Mine, a legend began... Every woman and man would always remember the time And those who remained were never the same You could see the fear in their eyes Once every year as the 14th draws near There's a hush all over the town While the legend they say on a Valentine's Day is a curse That'll live on and on And no one will know As the years come and go Of the horror from long time ago Twenty years came and went And everyone spent the fourteenth In quiet regret And those still alive Know the secret survives In the darkness that looms in the night For the legend they say On a Valentine's Day Is a curse that'll live on and on And no one will know As the years come and go Of the horror from long time ago In this little town When the 14th comes round There's a silence and fear in the air Remember the morn that the legend was born All the shock and the horror was there For the legend they say on a Valentine's Day Is a curse that'll live on and on And no one will know as the years come and go Of the horror from long time ago And no one will know as the years come and go of the horror from long time ago.